0: Hey there, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. Have you ever had feelings that you didn't know how to express to God or to someone else? We've got good news. There's a whole book of the Bible that gives language to the deepest, rawest feelings that we have, and it's the book of Psalms. The rest of the Bible is God's words to you. The Psalms are your words to God. We pray that this message blesses you today. And if you're looking for more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. I'm going to read it. We're going to pray real quick and then uh, ready to get into God's Word this morning. Uh, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? This is from the ESV version. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in Him. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, we come before You this morning ready to receive from your hand. So we pray for fresh bread from your oven, from your very hand. Uh, Feed us, feed our hearts, our Lord. We don't want just to sing some songs and hear a good message, but Lord, ultimately, feed us because we need Jesus this morning. We always need you, Lord. And so awaken our hearts, uh, rekindle our affection, move our will to deeper love, deeper surrender, to understand your grace a little deeper. Uh, we need you, Jesus. We, we want to grab a hold of a great Savior this morning, and we want that great Savior to grab a hold of us and our hearts. Nothing less, Lord, like we prayed and like we sang, uh, Holy Spirit, your presence, your presence here yeah. is what we need. That changes everything. And we know you are here, so make us more aware of your presence as we open your word this morning. Bring us to your Son, Holy Spirit, as you always do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, a little science class this morning. Ready? Okay. Do you remember the uh, Copernican Revolution? Probably not. Okay. It's been a long time since you've been in class. A guy named Ptolemy, okay, he said for hundreds of years that the earth was the center of the universe and the sun revolved around it until another dude his name was copernicus copernicus came around in 1500s and he said no the sun doesn't revolve around us we revolve around the sun the sun is the center of the universe not us then mind blown we had a revolution we had a revolution we everything changed. Our whole paradigm of of looking at the sky changed. Everything shifted. And this morning I want to say that we still need a Copernican revolution, Uh, not with the sun and the earth, but with our lives. Does our life revolve around Jesus at the center, or does Jesus revolve around us at the center? If Jesus revolves around us, that means we're at the center. And then he's just my consultant. He's my assistant. He's my personal life coach. He exists to serve me. And unfortunately, I think, that is that how many of us are living this morning? I know I catch myself doing that as well. Uh, researcher Christian Smith, in his book, Soul Searching, he says, Christians live... This, he he, char- he char- characterized it uh, as moralistic, therapeutic deists. All right, just fancy words that just mean this. We Christians in America live as though if we live good lives and if we're kind to others, then God will give us therapeutic benefits like self-esteem and happiness. Other than that, God's not really very much involved in our world. He exists to serve us. I am at the center of my life and my problems, and God is in the periphery. And Smith concludes by saying this distant God is not demanding because his job is to solve problems and make people feel good. There's nothing here to evoke wonder or admiration. Is that the Jesus of the Bible is the question? Will the real Jesus please stand up? Psalm 2 is going to give us a different picture. Psalm 1, we looked at a couple weeks ago, and we said the hashtag blessed life is one rooted in God's word. Today, God's word uh, through David in Psalm 2 says the blessed life, which Psalm 1 starts with the word blessed. Psalm 2 ends with the word blessed they actually go together. Um, the blessed life is not just rooted in God's word, it's also centered on God's King. all right A Copernican revolution is needed here. centered on God, God's King, Jesus Christ. So uh, let's dig in here Psalm 2. Uh, last week our sister Audrey she, she spoke about Jesus being the center of our home so that's what we're going to kind of explore about Jesus being the center. Of our lives and our lives revolve around Him. So, our series is in the book of Psalms and uh, we categorized it. There's 150. We're not going to be going through 150 Psalms, but uh, we're going to take the Psalms in four categories. We have the wisdom Psalms, which we're in right now, and we're going to call them the live Psalms, how to live uh, in light of God's Word. Then we have the lean Psalms, which we're calling how to trust God better. We have the lament Psalms, which is Psalms about how do we. Uh, talk to God when we're full of sorrow and sadness. And then we have the Lift Psalms, uh, praising God no matter what comes our way. So each few weeks, we're going to go through each of those categories. This is our last one in Live. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to start the Lean section, the category. So um, so Psalm 2, we're still talking about living in wisdom. And what I'm going to do today is we're going to walk through the Psalm. All right? We're gonna, just going to go through the verses. And then I'll pull out a few implications, and then we'll uh, worship. All right? So ready to do that? Yep. All right. Let's get our eyes on a copy of God's Word, Psalm 2. Uh, psalm 2 is a, what's also called a royal psalm, and it's written by David. Acts 4 tells us David actually wrote, uh, wrote Psalm 2. We don't really see that, see that. Usually in the beginning of the psalm, it kind of says, a psalm of David. But here it doesn't say that, but Acts 4 tells us this was actually David's psalm. So imagine a coronation ceremony for a new king in Jerusalem. That's also known as Zion, God's holy hill. Um, Quick sidebar here. After King David was king, this is 2 Samuel 7, uh, God promised there's going to be a long line of kings. There's going to be David and Solomon and et cetera. And it eventually is going to lead to a universal kingdom and a throne forever, and God actually looks at these kings and says, they're like my sons. All right, you'll see that all of these things in the psalm this, this morning. And hundreds of years later, Matthew 1 opens with this. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Jesus, then, is the fulfillment of that promise of a king in 2 Samuel 7. The second psalm, actually, is one of the psalms' uh, most quoted psalms in the New Testament. The New Testament writers loved quoting Psalm 2 because they're like, all along we've been waiting for a king, the final king, the ultimate king, and he's here in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament that was prophesied is true here in the New Testament. So back to Psalm 2. So there's a coronation ceremony. Now, how do people like the idea of having a king over their life? Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations fall down and worship? No. Rage. And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And against his anointed. The king is crowned, and all the who's who of the world are there. Nations, peoples, kings, rulers all gather around. We can add our kings and queens too. All right, let's add them too. The billionaires, the celebrities, the athletes, the social media influencers, all of everybody you could think of. Okay. The coronation's happening, and they use the word anointed. Do you see that against the anointed? That just means to be set apart. Basically, they're saying, this individual has been intentionally placed and has all authority and power over me. In the Old Testament, it's written in Hebrew. The word anointed is where we get the word Messiah. In the New Testament, Christ, the word Christ means anointed one. So Jesus Christ is Jesus, the anointed one. So Christ is his title. I don't know if you knew that. Christ is not his last name. It's not, Jesus is not Mr. Christ, right? It's, I don't know if you knew that. All right, it's Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. So how do they, uh, world influencers respond to the coordination? Uh, you have an angry mob ready to riot. So David is asking a rhetorical question. He's astonished. He's like saying, are you kidding me? The king is here. God's king is here. And you are raging. You're plotting. You're setting yourself together, setting yourself against him, which means preparing for war. So there's this noisy, restless mob. Can you picture that? They're they're getting together. They're plotting a a coup. You know what this is? This is... um, Remember Scar with the hyenas in The Lion King? Right after Simba is presented as the future king as the Lion King, right, opens, the the scene then shifts to Scar, the king's brother, grumbling about how he's not king. Then he's plotting with the hyenas how to get rid of the king. And the hyenas dance around saying, Who needs a king? No king, no king, la, 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 la. Remember that? (laughs) But Scar says, no, I will be king. And he gathers a whole army of hyenas to get on board with him. That's what's going on right here. Okay. This noisy crowd, uh, they seem to have greater edge with greater numbers. Nations and kings versus, that's plural, the Lord Singular. The anointed king, singular. So it seems like they have the greater edge here. Except uh, when you are with the Lord, when you're with God, you're always in the majority. But why the animosity? What's wrong with you people, right? Are you kidding me? They feel, verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They feel this God and his king, they're just... They're just too involved, too close. They're bondage bringers. Uh, this oppressive God, he's just out to make us slaves and puts rules on us and it feels like chains and cords and it's a cry for independence. Let's be free of this God and his king. And you know, our dog Nala, she's, uh, she loves going outside. But every time we put a leash on her, she fights us. Like, we know you want to go outside so badly, right? And I know you see that bunny out there, which is bigger than you because you're eight pounds. She's a Shih Tzu, okay? But why do you fight us when we're trying to put a leash on you? We're trying to help you because we know when you're out there, if you're going to go out by yourself, you're going to be in big trouble, right? That bunny's probably going to eat you. I don't know, you know? Like, That's what's what's going on here. This is, why are you putting this leash on me? They want to be their own gods, their own kings. Are we really free when we rebel rebel against the authority of God? Pastor H.B. Charles says, Is a tree really free when the wind uproots it from its base of nourishment in the soil? Is a fish really free when the fisherman's hook reels it out of the confines of the water? Is a train really free when it derails and continues to travel outside of the dire- direction of the tracks? And that means we're not really free when we rebel against the authority of God. God's response. What's God's response to this? Verse 4. Notice the contrast of moods between earth and and heaven, while the nations are raging and the peoples are plotting and the kings are setting themselves and the rulers are taking counsel together, God, verse 4, sits in the heavens, laughs. God's, he's sitting, right? He's not threatened. Uh, he's not biting his nails. He's not scrambling his fighter jets. He's not calling an intel- intelligence briefing. He's not wringing his hands. He's not urging everyone to run into the fortified bunker. He's sitting with his feet up. That's how I pictured it. (laughs) With his feet up with a glass of lemonade in his hand. Where is he sitting? He's sitting in the heavens. Not even on a chair. Not even on a throne. The whole heaven is his throne. This doesn't mean he's uncaring or he's far away. It just means none of this chaos on earth, you know, the the 6 o'clock news that gives you indigestion and the 10 o'clock news that gives you insomnia, right? (laughs) All of that chaos on earth, none of that is touching him. All of these attempts to dethrone God is a waste of time. Cannot reach him, cannot rattle him. Uh, do you remember when they built that huge Tower of Babel uh, to reach the heavens, Genesis 11? It says this in, in Genesis 11, God came down to look at it. And so here they are building this huge thing. We're going to reach the heavens. And the text says, and God still had to come down to look at it, means it's like ants trying to build a skyscraper. It's never going to be high enough, Never. By the way, if that's true, if God is sitting like that, ruling the world, and history is under his feet like that, that also means the chaos and uncertainty of your world, that's above your head right now, is still also under his feet, right? It's under his feet. And then he laughs, right? Did you see that? He sits in the heavens, he laughs. Human rebellion is divine comedy. To him, is this it, it, this is not a, a laugh at sin or rebellion. It's it's when we laugh at Nala and we say, "Silly puppy, right? You need this. This is you know that that kind of laugh. It's this pathetic attempt to dethrone God from His rightful place. And then God speaks in His wrath, verse five. So this laugh turns to His anger, verse five. He will speak to them in His wrath, terrify them in His fury, saying, "As for me." I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Then this is a part where when we read the Psalms and we're like, oh, that was great. I love a a God of love. But then I don't like this God of wrath. Um, I just want a God of love. Well, God is the most loving person in the universe. So when there's anything that threatens to damage or hurt him, Or his people or his creation, he responds in anger. If you have a God who is not wrathful at racial prejudice, child abuse, trafficking, etc., etc., he's neither good nor loving, right? If God is not utterly determined to root out from his creation in an act of proper wrath and judgment the arrogance that allows people to exploit, to bomb, to bully, to enslave one another, he's neither good nor loving nor wise. If you have a God who never gets angry, you can't have a God of love. Think about it. Because if you never, never get angry about anything, you don't, you don't love anything. You can't understand God's love if you don't understand his anger. Because he loves, he's angry at what harms C.S. Lewis says this, anger is the fluid that love bleeds when you cut it. He goes on to say that hell is actually the greatest monument to human freedom. See, God does in the end, he's just and good. He does in the end with people, by giving everybody what they most want, including freedom from himself. What could be more fair than that? In verses 7 to 9, then, we hear God's word to human rebellion. It's too late. Uh, By the way, the nations stop talking. (laughs) Verse 1 and 2, all that noise and everything, 1, 2, 3, we don't really hear from them anymore because God has the last word. And God says, he doesn't even say, okay, this is how you're going to act, off with all your heads. Verse 6, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He says, no, 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 my response is actually what you don't want, what you didn't want. You said, cast, you know, get this king away from me. My response is I'm actually going to put him on, on a hill. The Son of God will reign over heaven and earth. And God says all that matters in the end is how you will respond to the king he has placed. That's it. And God speaking in verse 5 and 6, right, he says, I've set my king. Verse 7 and 8 and 9, the king, who we can say now is Jesus Christ, David didn't know it then, but we know it now, is speaking in verses 7 to 9. His, his identity as son is affirmed, then his authority as judge is then affirmed. You are my son today, I begotten you, then his, his authority as judge. Ask of me, I'll make your nations your in. Your heritage, the ends of the earth, your possession, you shall break them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. All it's saying is, He will be the final authority and judge of all the earth and, of, and ruler of all the nations. And that's going to be the end. I'll stop there. We're going to now draw out the implications. And I'll include 10 to 12 is our final uh, admonishment in the psalm. We'll see how it plays out in the end. Okay, so implications. So at this point, okay, if you're hearing this, all right, and you're like, yeah, God, get those traffickers. Yeah, those government officials. Oh, yeah, I know you're angry at them. Get them. The political party of your choice, whatever you want to put. Yeah, get them. They're such rebels, celebrities, they're rebels. And the Lord would say, okay, here's a mirror. Here's the first implication uh, Who is on the throne of your heart? My heart. Who's running your life? We all have rivals to Jesus' throne in our heart. If Jesus exists to serve me, then he's not on the throne. I am. If I live my life saying, if he heals me, if he gives me a spouse, if he allows me to have children, if he gets me that job, if he gets me those good grades, then I'm interested. If he helps me fulfill the vision I have for my life, then I'm interested. If my posture, if that's my posture, it's going to destroy me because I'm attempting to rule my life and Jesus is my assistant, (laughs) not Lord or King. And Jesus says, I refuse to be your assistant and consultant. I'm not your, just your help and your healer. I'm your king and, your, and the Lord. And he says, I don't want to be in the periphery of your life. Paul would say in Colossians, in everything, he might be preeminent, which means first and foremost. Not periphery, but preeminent. Not on the side somewhere, first and foremost. And then you can't just take parts of him you like. Oh, I love the healer. Right? I love the comforter. I love. It's like I came to your house and uh, and, and you said, "Welcome, Robin Koshi," but I would ask only Robin to come in, and Koshi can stay out. I would. I wouldn't know what to do with that. I can't separate the two. I'm all Robin or all Koshi. And so you get all of me or none of me, right? And Jesus says, all of me or none of me? I mean, look at Psalm 2. He is the king of kings. He sits in the heavens. He upholds the universe, Colossians says, and Hebrews says, with his little pinky. And he calls all the nations into account. And one day, every knee is going to bow before him in the whole universe. And then you treat him like an assistant? A multivitamin you take on a Sunday? A little boost. All of me or none of me. Secondly, second implication then is all other rivals will end up enslaving you. See, if you put yourself as king or queen of your life, it's going to put you in bondage. What these people don't realize is when they said, let's take this leash off. It is actually putting you in bondage. Jesus frees you and Satan would have you to believe that Jesus put you in bondage and not following him sets you free. Then you're going to be pulled apart and you're going to be constantly unhappy. Uh, Author David Foster Wallace, he was speaking at a graduation. I don't think he was a follower of Christ. He's passed away now. But he said pretty much, listen to what he says, pretty much anything else you put on the throne of your life will eat you alive. If it's money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, you'll never have enough and never feel like you have enough. If it's your looks, your body, and your beauty and sexual allure, you're always going to feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. If it's your career success will get to your head, failure will get to your heart. If it's power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. You'll end up needing more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Put your intellect on the throne, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. I'll add a couple more that Jesus was speaking to me about. Put people-pleasing on the throne... Of your life, you'll always feel rejected. Put your kids there, grandkids there, you'll be consumed with their future, overly anxious all the time. It's enslaving you. And not to mention, when I act like I'm God in my life, when I'm self sufficient, I'm trying to be God because only God's self sufficient. How dare do I think I don't need anybody or I don't need anything? I'm taking the throne. When I sit as judge, jury, and executioner of people, I'm taking the throne. That's God's place. He's the judge, not me. When I say, well, you know what, I can't change. You know what the biblical word for that is? Immutable. Do you know what immutable always is referring to in the Bible? God. Only God says, I don't change. So you're God, if you can't change? Only God says that. You see, it's everywhere in us. You see it? This is not just the nations out there. It's in here. The commandment one is what we have broken. Don't have any other gods besides me, God says, including yourself as God. So yeah, the constant restlessness, this futility, this plotting in vain, that's in all of us. What's ruling your life? And all of this deserves wrath. He tolerates no rivals. So in verses 10 to 12, it's a call to say, surrender to this king. Kiss the son, verse 12. This is not a kiss of affection or romantic. It's a, a kiss of allegiance, humble submission. Total surrender. See, when a vanquished ruler surrendered to a conquering monarch, he would vow his allegiance with a kiss on the cheek, hand, or feet. It's a surrender. Now, wait, wait a minute. How will I know he's not going to treat me in wrath? Because it's true. I have other rivals in my heart. I should pay for taking his throne and shaking my fist at him. Right? That makes sense. But that's not what's going to happen. Why? In The Last Emperor, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Last Emperor, the young child is anointed as the last emperor of China. He's got uh, a thousand servants at his command, lives his life of luxury. His brother asks him one day, uh, Emperor, what happens when you do wrong? The emperor says, when I do wrong, someone else gets punished. And to demonstrate this, the emperor breaks a jar And then one of his servants is then beaten. But we have a different king. Amen. King Jesus reverses the pattern. When the servants mess up, King Jesus says, I will take the punishment. You know, in Luke 19, they literally say this. People hated him, sent a delegation after him, and they said, we do not want him to be our king. This came true. But David didn't know that centuries later, the king of kings will come. Jesus Christ had the throne he deserved, but he steps off that throne. The sovereign king becomes a servant and serves you and me by climbing onto another on a hill on a cross called Calvary. He gets bound so we could be free. So that he can now lead us, Hosea says, with cords of love. John Stott says the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. But the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Every time we look at the cross, Jesus Christ says to you and me, I am here because of you. It's your sin I'm bearing, your curse I'm suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. See, nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have insulated views of ourselves, especially in self righteousness, until we visited Calvary. It's at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. We shrink to our true size. Last implication. So, what's our response to all this? That's true. Joyful surrender is our response. Surrendering with joy is the only response because of how great a cost and how great the gift. Now listen, if you came to my house and you saw a bill on my table for $25, a bill, and you got online and you paid it, I would say, wow, thank you so much. So kind of you. Fist bump. Thank you, bro. Thank you, sis. Whatever. But if you came to my house, and this is not true, but you saw letters from the IRS for back taxes, threatening jail, and then a bunch of insane Connecticut taxes, which I'm finding out, and then my mortgage bill, and my student loan debt, and on and on and on, and then you go online and you pay that all off. I'm not going to say, wow, thank you, bro. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I will <laughs> fall on the floor kiss your feet, and I will say, command me, master. <laughs> what, would, what would you want thy servant to do? <laughs> I would say, I'm exaggerating, but not really. Why? Because, because it depends on how big the bill is. It depends on how indispensable that payment was. It all depends on how costly it was to the payer. See, the size of my joy and surrender is in proportion to the size of the debt that was paid and the gift that was given. And so that's why I joyfully surrender. He says, rejoice with trembling. What? How does both of those work? I tremble because my sins are that bad. I tried to take his throne. But I rejoice. Because I am that loved that he wanted to die for me. This love is so amazing because the cost is so outstanding. I act like a rival to your throne and you do that to me and for me? Joyful surrender. Love so amazing, the hymn writer says. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Grace is free only because the giver himself has borne the cost. And so that's why we have the blessing at the end. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Refuge is a hiding place, a strong tower, a place of security. You're safe now because the debt is paid. God's wrath uh, was borne by King Jesus on your behalf. Your only response is joyful surrender. Worship team, you can come on up. We're going to sing a song now. It's called Jesus Have It All. Some of the lyrics go like this. Jesus have my heart. My will, my soul. Jesus, have my hopes, my dreams, my world. With joy, I lay it down. With joy, I cast my crowns. Jesus, have it all. To you, I bring my praise, my lips, my song. A living sacrifice is one reborn. Your life is not my own. Your will is what I want. Jesus, have it all. So this morning, you're going to keep treating him as your assistant? Where is the Lord calling you to deeper surrender? Uh, What areas do you need to say, I'm done. I'm done trying to run my life. I put other things on the throne and now it's enslaving me. I treated you like an assistant. I'm a really bad ruler, Lord, of my life. It's destroying me. But so Jesus have it all. You gave your all so you can have my all. So the altar we're going to open. If you've never ever bowed your knee to King Jesus, Jesus invites you today to himself. Find refuge in him before it's too late. He, the king is going to come again. And every knee will bow. Some of us in humble Adoration and submission. And some of us, because we, fi- we it was too late and we finally realized it was true. He is the king that deserved my life and I didn't live for him. I don't want that. So find your refuge in him this morning. If you've been on the throne of your life today, he calls you to himself to real freedom. So give him your life because he gave you his life. So you're, the altar will be open. You can come to the front and we can pray for you. But if you receive the Lord you're sitting as king and queen this morning. You've been rivaling him in some area and you want to surrender something the spirit is pointing to in your heart right now. You're welcome to come. You can stay in your seat, of course, but Jesus meets you there too, not just here. But if you want to come here too and say yes, Jesus, have it all. And King Jesus welcomes you and says, yes, my son, my daughter, I never wanted you to be the king. I'm the king. Well, that about wraps it up for today. We pray that today's message encouraged you. And if you would like more information or just to contact us, go to our website at newriverchurch.org.